The Truth and Love Ministry is pleased to present Truth and Love Radio with former Muslim and now Christian pastor Sharam Hadian. Sharam is from Iran and is now a proud U.S. citizen living in Washington State. In addition to being a pastor and conference speaker, he is also the host of the weekly television program Till TV. And now, here is your host, Sharam Hadian. Well, thank you for joining us today on Truth and Love Radio. This is Pastor Sharam Hadian with you. Folks, uh, I have been in a series that I think is very, very important uh, and is a growing issue of deception in the church today, and that is the fraud of refugee resettlement and how I believe many Christians have bought into this fraud. This is part seven. And I'm not quite sure how many more programs we will do. I just feel like we have to do enough until it really paints the complete picture of what is going on and how do we refute this fraudulent um, uh, push towards, you know, all in, all welcoming. Uh, We see more communities. We see more churches getting behind the, we're going to be a welcoming community. These are words they use, by the way, we're going to be an inclusive community. We're going to be a welcoming community. We're going to be a welcoming church. We're going to be an inclusive church. And really what that means is that, you know, Hey, anything goes. And when it comes to refugee resettlement, anything goes means there should be no boundaries, no borders, uh, no limits, no testing, no vetting, um, because really anything goes, uh, even when you try to explain pe- to, to, to these folks that uh, there are major concerns with the refugee resettlement program. So through the programs that we've done so far, and I hope you've had a chance to go back and listen to the other shows on our website at TILproject.com. Uh, remember, if you're there, you can subscribe to iTunes. If you are on iTunes and if you subscribe, when we upload our shows, they will automatically be uploaded to your iTunes account. But we've gone through, and we've gone through, and first of all, uh, spent several shows talking about the ideology of Islam, specifically when it comes to migration and refugee resettlement. They actually have a doctrine, the Hijra. Then we went through and looked at the process. What does the process of resettlement look like? Who's responsible for it? The UN High Commissioner, the State Department, working with these agencies. Then we went through and looked at national security concerns, financial concerns, but specifically national security concerns and how the the, the tops of these agencies who are particularly the Homeland Security that is responsible for the vetting process is telling us, look, when it comes to certain nations that President Trump wanted to temporarily ban, there is no data collection process because these places are in turmoil. So, these are all some of the things we've covered, and on the last show particularly that I covered for you, and I want to add a couple of more examples specifically of how we're seeing a rise in, re- in, in refugees committing crimes, committing uh, uh, rapes, sexual assaults, committing acts of jihad, attempted acts of jihad. And again, I've highlighted a lot of them. I, I don't want to repeat them. But I will tell you this, that they are increasing, that the FBI is now, well, according to the Justice Department, Justice Department, that a third of their cases of terrorism are involving refugees. We know that ISIS has promised to infiltrate the refugee resettlement program, both in Europe and in Canada and the U.S. 
We know that they're attracted to cheap labor, as I mentioned. You have the meatpacking plants in Boise, Idaho, in Aberdeen, South Dakota, in, in Minnesota. You have uh, Chobani yogurt in uh, Twin Falls, Idaho, that is cheap labor, getting government subsidies. So it's, again, all about money, money, money. And then, of course, you have the nine re- re- the major refugee resettlement agencies that have contracted with the State Department that we'll talk about. So I want to highlight, before we get into those agencies, I want to highlight just a few more examples. And again, I can't encourage you enough. Go to leoholman.com. Our friend Leo Holman is on top of this issue. He has highlighted, he has, he has documented these, um, the, the uptick in, in violence and attacks. And there's no one better uh, as far as investigative journal, journalism on this issue. So let me just share with you, again, some examples. I've already shared with you some of these examples uh, on the previous shows. But let me share with you some examples here. Um, You have, uh, in the summer of 2016, uh, for example, uh, in Aberdeen, South Dakota, two men were shot at, one hit and one wounded, in the street outside an apartment complex. The alleged shooter was uh, Abder, uh, let's see, Abderman Ahmad Noor, 24, who walked up to the injured man lying in the street and shot him a second time in the head. He miraculously survived the man. But Noor, who came to the U.S. as a child refugee, was charged with attempted murder and released on $50,000 bail. Guess what? He never showed up for his March 2017 court hearing. He remains unaccounted for to this day. He may not even be in the country anymore. We don't know. But... um, this is an example. We talked about the, um, let's see, uh, 17-year-old Meals on Wheels volunteer was dropping off meals at a homeless shelter in Shelbourne, Vermont, when she was attacked by 32-year-old Somali migrant uh, Abukar Ibrahim with a machete in early January 2018. The woman sustained multiple injuries, including a severe wound to her leg. Uh Nuza Jamal Hassan. This is a story that you barely heard of, but Leo covered this. A 19-year-old woman from either Somalia or Ethiopia, the Minneapolis police would, will, won't release her status to this day. What does she do? Well, she attacked... Um, no, I'm sorry. She was the one. She was arraigned last month on charges of first-degree arson after she allegedly set fires on the campus of St. Catherine University. Hassan told police she wanted the school to burn, quote, wanted the school to burn to to the ground, and, quote, that her intent was to hurt people, according to charges filed in Ramsey Court District, Ramsey County District Court. Hassan told police she had written a letter to her roommates containing, quote, radical ideas about supporting Muslims and bringing back the caliphate. Of course, folks, remember the narrative, no matter how many of these incidents we keep seeing, and no matter how many incidents Leo and others have highlighted, what is the narrative from our elected officials? What is the narr- narrative from the media? What is the narrative from the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable, from the pro-refugee supporters, from these agencies? The narrative is this has nothing to do with Islam, right? This is just simply violence, just like white people commit violence. It has nothing to do with Islam. Yet we see it over and over and over again that um, this is about Islam, about jihad. She told the police and fire investigators 
You guys, quote, you guys are lucky I don't know how to build a bomb because I would have done that. June 15, 2017, uh, I, I already shared with you on the program the story of the S- Somali refugee who became a police officer, Mohammed Noor. He shot and killed Justine Demond. Uh, she was from Australia. As I said, finally, finally, they have charged him with murder, a third-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter. He was fired, and we pray that he will come to justice. Dahar Ahmad Adan, remember, he stabbed 10 shoppers at the Crossroads Mall in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I was there, by the way, in September of 2017. So he did it in 2016, September 17, 2016, almost a year to the date. I spoke in St. Cloud. I was by that mall there, and um, there are still people there that were very much affected by that. The refugee asked shoppers if they were Muslim. If they said no, he attacked them with his knife until he was shot dead by an off-duty police officer. Adon's brother was later jailed in North Dakota on drug charges. December 2016, Somali refugee Mohammed Ayanel, 22, was charged with first and third degree criminal sexual conduct after he allegedly raped a woman while riding a commercial bus through Polk County, Minnesota. Have you heard of these stories, by the way? Have you heard the media covering these stories? Can you imagine if if Christians were doing this? If Christian refugees were doing these things? Have you heard these stories from those who are supportive of, of groups like World Relief and others? You don't hear about it, right? In the summer of 2015, a 49-year-old black Christian American, Freddie Akoya, was murdered in his Portland, Maine apartment by three migrants he had befriended, two from Somalia and one from Ethiopia. One of the two Somalis, Mohammed Mohamud, led the brutal assault. They kicked and punched Akoya repeatedly and hit him over the head with a wooden coffee table for several hours before leaving the apartment. He was found two days later dead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Davi DeVos, a promising 21-year-old black student at St. Cloud Technical and Community College, was stabbed to death at a house party in June 2015 by then 16-year-old um, Muhiyadin Mohammed Hassan, a Somali refugee who violated his juvenile probation and since has been moved to the adult system. This is the one I was talking about, actually. In 2008, the government revealed that thousands um, of Somali families had fraudulently entered the U.S. as refugees by lying on their applications that they were related to Somalis already living in the U.S. But one of those stories, which is very frustrating, is this gal. Um, Memorial Day 2016, May 31st, Lawrenceville, Georgia. I used to live there in Lawrenceville, Georgia. In fact, here's the interesting connection to this story. Lawrenceville, Georgia is where I got saved. That's where I became a Christian, in Lawrenceville, Georgia. A Somali refugee woman, Aisha Ibrahim, 31, appeared out of the woods wearing a burqa and beat an American woman with her own American flagpole. You heard me right, with her own American flagpole. She came out, the flagpole was on their house, I think, or in the front of their property. She took it and tried to assault them. She was granted bail and did not show up for her arraignment in court. She remains missing to this day. Another one who's missing. I mean, folks, I can just go on and on and on and on. 2013 Somali refugee Omar Mohammed Kalmio in North Dakota was sentenced to life in prison for the 2011 murder of a Native American family he had be- become involved with. 
Ay, ay, ay. Uh, I already covered with you Abdul Ali Artan. He was the Ohio State uh, wounded 11 people by running uh, them over with his car, a knife attack, and he was killed by, again, a police officer. Again, Leo lays all this out. I mean, he goes over 25, I think 25 different cases um, uh, that that are that are there. Uh, okay, let me give, let me give you one more. Let me give you one more. This is an important one. One of the top terror recruits for ISIS in the U.S. was Mohammed Hassan, a Somali refugee with roots in Minnesota. He turned himself in to authorities in, in Somalia in late 2015 after leading dozens of Somali Americans to join ISIS. Through his Twitter persona, Miski, he even played a role in the terror attack on a Mohammed cartoon contest in Garland, Texas, in which two Muslims planned to kill everyone and behead First Amendment activist Pamela Geller. Do you remember about the Pamela Geller situation when these two Muslims drove from Arizona to Garland, Texas, to shoot up and kill her when uh, Gert Wilders was there at the conference? I believe Robert Spencer, I'm not sure, but it was a Pamela Geller event. And we now know that the FBI had an agent following them all the way from Arizona to Texas, never notified local police department, never notified the SWAT team, never notified Pamela Geller security. And so Pamela Geller is actually suing the FBI now over the endangerment to her life and, and, and every person at this conference. Because at some point you got to think, do they want these things to happen? So here is an example again. How many of these specifically Somali refugees do we have to allow into this nation before we wake up and realize there is a major problem? And that is why President Trump wanted to ban uh, travel from Somalia for a period of time until they can create better vetting. And I don't think you're ever going to be able to create better vetting when you have third world jihadis coming to this nation who don't know how to live in our country, don't want to abide by our cultures, and when they establish enclaves like in uh, the, the, the south uh, uh, part of Minneapolis, St. Paul area, they, um, they cause mayhem. They cause harm. They, I don't know how to say it, folks. These are, these are again, I'm not saying every Somali, I'm not saying every Muslim, but these are animals. Because they're coming from a culture and a society that is that is ruled by tribalism, that is ruled by Islam, that is uh, ruled by a, a, a fairly virulent version of Islam in Shafiism. Uh, this is very problematic. And, and when we bring this to the attention of our elected officials when we have, you know, I have my friend Senator Neil Tapia was trying to was trying to get a bill passed in in uh, South Dakota to temporarily put a moratorium on refugee resettlement until there can be better vetting process, particularly from Somalia. Uh, and, and that's where Leah Holman testified. Guess who was fighting against them? Guess who came to the aid of the Muslims? The Interfaith Coalition. The interfaith folks came in there and supported the Muslims, and they got even the Republicans running for the hills. Neil Tapio was a, a voice crying in the wilderness. They didn't even let Leo, Leo Holman finish his testimony. He had brought J Phil Haney in, James Simpson. He had actually called me and asked me if I can come and testify, but it was just too short of a notice. I couldn't get out there. 
I would have been there if I could have. But they probably wouldn't have let me testify. It's outrageous. We're being infiltrated and overrun like in Europe. So again, uh, I'll put this link on the notes page for this show. Check it out. So now I want to talk about the culprit. Because these refugee agencies should, if, if they claim to be Christian, and six out of nine, I believe, claim to be Christian, Christian background, shouldn't they be concerned about, I don't know, Christian persecution? Shouldn't they, you know, uh, be crying and, and, and shouting and, 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 and having meetings and declarations about how Christian, specifically Christian refugees from some of these countries are not being allowed in? Remember when I said to you that the U.N., is picking over 95% of these refugees. We don't even have a say in who's being selected into our nation. This is nuts. This is lawlessness. Judgment, folks. The foreigners coming among you and foreign gods. The foreigners are coming among you. They are taking the harvest and the blessing that God intended for our nation. And because God is turning us over, and, and now it's going to these foreigners. And, and they're pillaging our land. They're taking our resources, welfare, money. They're, they're, they're assaulting our women like they are in Europe, the rape epidemic. And there is, by the way, these so-called agencies and churches have no plan of evangelism towards these refugees. None. Because all they're doing is trying to accommodate them with a social gospel. Take care of the hurting. Feed them. Clothe them. Get them a house, housing. Get them food. Get get them free health care. Get them free uh, education. Never share the gospel. So let me give you quickly some numbers on the Syrian refugees. Remember, Syria is supposed to be 10 to 11% Christian population. According to the Center for Study of Global Christianity, that has estimated that we are in the midst of one of the worst, if not the worst, Christian genocide in church history, averaging 90,000 martyrs per year. They have estimated that 90% of the Christian population in Iraq has been displaced. 50% of the Christian population in Syria has been displaced. So if Syria is 10 11% Christian, shouldn't you see that reflected in the numbers that are coming over here when we're letting in refugees from Syria. Remember, one of the reasons that you don't see that reflected is because many of the Christians are afraid to go into the refugee camps, the UN camps, because they are attacked there by the Muslims. They're not safe there. So they flee from ISIS. They flee from religious persecution in their homeland where they've been for thousands, for you know, 2,000, close to 2,000 years in some, some parts of Syria and Iraq. They go into a refugee camp and they're attacked there. So they don't go. So here are the numbers. In 2016, again, we don't have the 2017 finalized numbers yet. We're waiting for that. But in 2016, according to the United States Department of Refugee Processing Center, these are the government's numbers. 12,500 Syrians were allowed entry into the United States. Since 2012, since the the beginning of the supposed Syrian refugee crisis, 
they estimate the number is 21,300. Based on that 21,300 number, 98.28% are Sunni Muslims. Let me repeat that one more time. Of the 21,300 that have come in since 2012, 98.28% are Sunni Muslims. That equates to 20,933. 20,933. So the majority are Sunni Muslims. 0.0032% are Shia Muslims, meaning a total of 68 out of that 21,300. Folks, how many Christians in a nation that is close to 11% Christian population and 50% of the Christians potentially have been displaced? How many Christians do you think they should, that we're allowing into the country from Syria? 0.0115%. Let me repeat that one more time so you don't think I made a mistake. 0.0115%. That means 245. Since 2012, since the beginning of the Syrian refugee crisis that all of these Christian organizations are talking about, that the Declaration on Evangelical Response that was signed by many evangelical leaders back in 2015 at Wheaton College that said it's not our job to worry about security. It's the government's job. It's our worry, job to worry about the hurting. They didn't, by the way, mention anything about the gospel in that document. They didn't mention anything about the responsibility to share the gospel with these Muslims who don't know Jesus Christ and are going to hell without, without the knowledge, saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or maybe they don't even believe that anymore. They didn't mention anything about the Christians who are not being allowed in, by the way, in, the, in their document. Since 2012, 21,300, of that 21,300, 245. A grand total of 245 Syrian Christians have been allowed into the United States. And as I mentioned, that in 2016, we had the most Muslim refugees enter the U.S. ever in one year, 39,000. 39,000 Muslim refugees dumped into 200 communities without the knowledge of state legislators, local officials in many cases, Congress has no oversight over the spending, as I mentioned, taxation without representation. By the way, how many Yazidis, you know, all the talk about the Yazidi women being raped and sold into sexual slavery, 0.0024%, that means 51. A total of 51 out of 21,300 are Yazidis. That should outrage you. That should show you the hypocrisy and the fraud that this whole thing is. Because these nine agencies, let me talk about them here and then we're going to pick up in the next show. Here are the nine agencies that, by the way, are being supported by the so-called Evangelical Immigration Roundtable. These so-called Christian charities are getting a grand total among all of them of close to $2 billion, B, B, billion dollars a year of federal dollars. Our tax money, our taxes are going to fund so-called Christian charities backed by Max Lucado and Bill Hybels and Tim Keller and uh, and uh, many others. The, 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 I, I put the link, by the way, in the, link, in the notes page, folks, for you. It's in there. And uh, it, it has a page on signatories 
resources, preaching God's heart for immigrants and refugees. These are some of the some of the um, uh, uh, articles that have been written here to help Christians to how to convince their uh, Christian neighbors and family that we should welcome all the immigrants and welcome all the refugees. Uh, article by David Platt. We're called to serve immigrants regardless of their legal status. Really? They're criminals. Criminal aliens are killing and raping and running over people and and and, 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 and regardless of their status, we should just help them? We should be willingly breaking the uh, righteous laws? Another article, Opportunity for Undocumented to Earn Citizenship Earns Majority Support Among Evangelicals. One more time. Opportunity for undocumented to earn citizenship earns majority support among evangelicals. Evangelical churches, pastors, engage on immigration. Paul Metzger, reforming our understanding of Romans 13 on immigration reform. On and on and on. I mean, I can't can't tell you. Peter Crabb, faith in economics, why Christians should support immigration reform. And, and, and again, it gives you the list of all of their signatories. Who signed it? Who who are the principals? Who are the people that support, you know, this stuff? And and they will not sit here and tell you uh, these stories, will they? They won't report to you all of these criminals. Here, here, here are some of the signatories of the heads of the Evangelical Immigration Roundtable. And then we'll get into the nine agencies when we come back in the next show. Leith Anderson, president of the National Association of Evangelicals. Scott Arbiter, president of World Relief. Shirley Hoekstra, president council for Christian colleges and universities. Hayapin Im, president and CEO of Korean Churches for Community Development. Joanne Leon, global ambassador of the Wesleyan Church. Russell Moore, president Southern Baptist Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Samuel Rodriguez, President National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Richard Stearns, President of World Vision. And you can go through the heads of major denominations, folks. I'll cover some of this when I get back. I want to read the names. I want to tell you what agencies are doing this. So you can understand that you're you're, you're getting fleeced. This is a fraud that is being perpetrated among the church. Stay tuned. For the next show, you don't want to miss it. God bless you. Continue to pray, please, for God to bring us to our knees, to to bring us to repentance, to open our eyes to the lawlessness that is going on. God help us. God is good. He's on his throne. Let us commit to his mission, his calling, and fulfilling his great commission. We'll see you on the program next time. Thank you for listening to Truth in Love Radio with Pastor Sharam Hadian. You can visit our website, order DVDs, subscribe to our podcast, or support the ministry at www.tilproject.com. Please join us next time for another installment of Truth in Love Radio.